welcome to Generation Ag, a podcast for the future of agriculture. I'm Kayla. And I'm Lavinia. And we're a couple of young Aggies passionate about celebrating our industry and sharing the stories of people who work in it. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Generation Ag. I was very excited to chat with Paige, who's the owner of Cross Country Management. She grew up on a multi-generational broadacre cropping and sheep farm in the mid-north of South Australia. She has a degree in agronomy and has a long history in the agribusiness sector. Paige understands the opportunities and challenges to business owners and farm managers. As a specialist in project management of multi-stakeholder projects, Paige understands the intricacies that are required in each unique project that they undertake. Her extensive knowledge of finance and local government has helped her navigate the variety of projects she now works on with different organisations. She was a great pleasure to chat to. And I really appreciate how personal she was and how she really deeply shared about her story. So I really hope you enjoy this one. And if you're a young person listening and potentially it's towards the end of the year, moving for a grad program or thinking about making a change next year, Paige has traveled a huge amount in her career across Queensland, Victoria, New South Wales and SA. And I think she's got some great advice for you there as well. Let's get into this episode. Paige, so excited to have you on the podcast. Really excited for this chat. We always start off with Generation Ag to talk to us about your childhood and growing up in the regions. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Hi, Lavinia. Thanks so much for having me. So I grew up in the mid-north region of South Australia. And for some context, I grew up in at a town called Gladstone, which is halfway between Port Pirie and Jamestown, north of Clare. So I think the region would identify itself as mid-north, but it's more upper north rather than, you know, the true heartland perhaps of the mid-north being Clare. So I grew up on a farm. It's a mixed broadacre and sheep farm At the when I was a child. I remember mum and dad running probably 2,000 sheep. It was a self-replacing merino flock and also running or driving and cropping. We're about 3,000 acres, so now we're not very big, um, but back then it was sort of the norm. So as a child, we're only 10 k's out of town, so we went to school in town, my brother and I, our neighbours, you know, I went to school with my cousins, right? It's just the way it was. So my memories of a childhood are pretty positive. Growing up on a farm is, you know, it's a great childhood. We had a lot of freedom. My mum and dad worked very hard on our farm together. So I remember, you know, I had a horse. My brother had a motorbike. We played golf all around one of our paddocks. We'd mow stairways. And my grandfather actually had a plane. So one of the highlights of my childhood was always when he would fly out to our farm from his farm and pick us up after school and we'd go for a fly. That is so cool. I wish that was my childhood. (laughs) That's awesome. Just going for a fly with grandpa, no worries. I love that. Sounds like you had a really beautiful childhood. Can you tell me a little bit more about that multi-generational broadacre, but particularly for agriculture for you, what is it that you just sort of love about the industry or when did you sort of desire a career in agriculture yourself? Oh, good question. So our farm has been in our family for over 100 years, which uh, was our 100-year anniversary or reunion in 2015. And 
fun fact is that our neighbours, two of our neighbours, our families have been neighbours for 100 years as well. So it's a pretty tightly held pocket. I think that's something to be proud of, although my dad would roll over now if I spruced, you know, being fifth generation or whatever I might be. But, you know, so family, farming's been in our family for a long time. And my mum is also from a farming family. Their farm, their family farm is the opposite side of town to ours. So that my mum and dad farmed my dad's family farm and my uncle farms my mum's family farm. I guess farming and agriculture has been in our DNA for a long time. When I was at school, I went to school in Port Pirie, I drove over there every day once I got my P's at 16 and a half. And when I was at school, I was setting up my career pathway to work in geophysics. So my year 12 subjects were maths, one, maths, two, English, physics, chem. That was my aspiration to go and do that. And at the time, St Mark's, where I went to school, didn't have an ag program. So this was late 90s. I went to Rockhampton, which is where I wanted to go to uni, because my grandma lived there, and went to the uni and just really didn't feel it. So had a real change of heart in terms of what my uni preferences were going to be. And my dad had always encouraged my brother and I, and my mum as well, but had always encouraged either of us to come back to the farm but go and get a degree or get a trade first because they had seen firsthand how hard life on a farm can be, you know, the 80s drought, the wool crash. There was never any pressure to come back on the farm or expectation that it would be one or the other of us, but always go and get a degree and then come back if you want to. So for better or worse, I changed my uni preferences at the last minute to do a Bachelor of Applied Agriculture Science at the Uni of Adelaide. So that sort of was a real last-minute change. I went over to New Zealand, I think, the night, the day after I changed my preferences on an exchange and didn't think any more of it. So that was sort of my beginning of a career in ag. I went to the Uni of Adelaide for 12 months and I made a decision to transfer to the Uni of Queensland. I had a real interest at the time in summer crops and I was also really sick of being a broke uni student So I transferred to study by remote education and I started my working career managing a fertiliser depot and selling fertiliser for a person in the Clare Valley while I studied. Studying remotely back then would have been a whole different experience. Yeah, yeah. So I'd go from South Australia up to Gatton. So I was at Gatton and we'd do two weeks of residential school each semester. And I was fortunate that one of my dad's cousins lived in um, halfway between Brisbane and the Gold Coast. So I'd go out to residential school. I'd go into the coast, then I'd catch the train up to Rockhampton to see my grandma. So I'd sort of turn it into a month. So it actually worked out really well, right? Yeah, sounds like you worked it out really well. Back then, you obviously were still really, uh, you know, sure on what you wanted to do or you were sort of still doing what was a little bit outlier. Looking back and reflecting on that, do you think all of those little things have sort of streamlined you to start being independent, running your own business? Like you you definitely obviously were a go-getter from a young age. What do you think that that has had sort of an impact on you for now? 
I think having a natural curiosity about agriculture and recognising even then that there are amazing opportunities for working in ag now, whether that's a farmhand, whether that's at a corporate CEO level or whether it's even in a research level, there's so many opportunities there. But for me it was just that natural curiosity about, you know, what else is out there and being open to new experiences, which has certainly helped me in my career and starting off, you know, in FERT and you know, looking at crops and plant nutrition. And I, you know, we touched on this before offline, but it's funny how all of those pieces, but I think it did come back to that natural curiosity, which I still have. Like, it's still really nice to, you know, learn about new industries, learn about what people are doing in different sec- like different components of the agricultural sector. And then you see other people from outside the industry and there's so many correlations and similarities between everything that we do. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think you're so right. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that journey and your experience in the ag sector, which has led you to where you are now. Can you tell us a little bit about finishing university and sort of finishing agronomy and where you went to and how you got to where you are now? Absolutely. So I graduated from uni in 2003 and at the time I was still selling fertiliser and managing a depot which was great. And I had a really supportive employer. And my next option really was probably to buy into the business. Then in 2004, so I'd graduated, was still really happy with what I was doing, still had opportunities. In 2004, my brother committed suicide. So that was when I was 22, he was 20. And the next sort of six months of 2004, were they're pretty hazy. I drank a lot. Um, you know, I was supporting and working through. I moved back to live with my parents and it was about 45 minutes to come back to the depot and, you know, I'd sort of started to, you know, when something like that happens, it's really big, right? It's a, you know, it's a real life-changing moment for lots of people. And I'd realised that I just needed to do something different. I found it really hard to... You know, I just needed to move somewhere where it wasn't, oh, that's Paige and this is what's happened. Now, lots of that was probably in my head. but And small towns are great during times of real challenges and there's some real challenges going on in South Australia at the moment, particularly in the mid-north over the last couple of weeks, which, you know, you see community at its best when things happen. But for me personally, after that period of time, it was looking at other opportunities. So from there, I joined NAB Agribusiness's graduate program. So I went from living in the mid-north in SA and I moved to Albury and I started my finance career with NAB. And again, it's that natural curiosity. My mum, prior to being a farmer, she actually worked from NAB. So, you know, different era, different circumstances. But and, and, and it's a numbers thing, right? And I am a numbers person. I think my brain is wired to be a numbers person. And it's again that natural curiosity and interest. So and it gave me the opportunity to talk to an amazing array and diverse group of people. So I started in Albury in 2005. I then went to Ballarat in winter. That was always a real challenge. And then from a Ballarat winter, I went up to Longreach in central Queensland where I was there for probably six months with Nav. And that was great. My auntie was and still lives at Yapoon. So, and at the time, um, I'd go in there, I'd see them. And then from there, I come back to Adelaide and worked for uh, still with NAB and worked for corporate agri or in the corporate agri sector, which was great and really started to open my eyes up to the other end of town. 
Then I went to my first management position in Shepparton. That was at the end of the 2008 drought. I spent nearly three years in Shep and then met my now husband. So he was in Ballarat and then he was moving to Hamilton. So I finished with NAB in Horsham and that was, you know, it was the right time for me. I'd achieved what I wanted to. And then I moved to Hamilton and then got a job working for local government. So, you know, that was in 2000 and I've lost track of what years it was, but um, moved to Hamilton, went to work for local government, which was a real eye-opener, right, to go from corporate and to go from, you know, one of the top four banks then to our local government space. So I've had a pretty diverse career. Not just diverse, but also you've travelled immensely. I haven't really touched on this, but I'd love to just really chat a little bit. Being in your early 20s and moving around so much and being in complete diverse environments because obviously it's still overall agriculture, but what's happening in Queensland is completely different to Victoria. What was it like being a young person, going to all these different places? And I think there are a lot of people who listen who are doing the same thing. What is a couple of pieces of advice that you'd have to sort of become part of a new community and get yourself out there? So I think there's a couple of things. Definitely be open to moving to regional towns and don't be afraid of maybe not knowing anyone. When I moved to Longreach, I didn't know anyone in Longreach. Now, the best thing that I did, and I don't recommend this, but the best thing I did was actually lock myself out of my house and then I had to knock on the neighbours, two neighbours down, and it turned out that those girls in that house become some of my really great mates in Longreach and they really, you know, brought that together. So maybe, you know, think about locking yourself out of your house and knocking on the neighbour's door. But, you know, one, yes, be open to moving to regional towns. Sport, sports that great neutraliser, right? You know, now whether it's playing netball, touch rugby, you know, croquet, I remember playing croquet, you know, there's just so many opportunities that are out there if you are into sport, but also volunteering. And I volunteer regularly with Parkrun. I'm a flag flying member of the Parkrun cult. But, you know, just it's just about being open to opportunities and say yes to things, right? If somebody invites you to, you know, the pub, to the races, you know, just say yes. And maybe you hit it off with them. Maybe you hit it off with other people that, but just say yes. And again, put yourself out of your comfort zone and just say yes to things at the start. I think that's all great advice. And I definitely agree with you with the knocking on the neighbor's door. I met one of my really good friends in Melbourne because she was trying to move a couch into her apartment by herself. And I was like, I'm not going to stand here and not help this girl out. So yeah. And she's one of my good friends now. So yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think that that's so great. So you moved back to Victoria, you met your husband now, and you moved to local government. What was it like in local government? And tell me that transition from local government to start working for yourself and move back to SA. It was a real eye-opener, as I said, to go from working for, you know, in the corporate environment where you would work however many hours a week that was required and it was more than 38.5 or 37.5 whatever it is and then you know I'd had RDOs working at NAB in analyst roles but you know it's an RDO once a month you know you'd have your lunch now that makes it sound like typical government jobs right but it was certainly an eye-opener at the start but what I then realized is that There's so many crossover points and there's so many similarities between and there's so many links. So 
I worked as agribusiness development officer, so I sat within economic development and tourism. It was a natural fit, right, and agriculture in Western Vic and the the council had made the decision that they wanted to, they saw that as a real opportunity and it was just bridging those links and creating those networks. And that's something that, you know, working at NAB, working selling FERT, you know, whatever it is, that ability to converse with people and, again, that natural curiosity and that want to make a difference, they all fall in together. So it was nice also to see the planning side of things. So at NAB, obviously, you have clients that want to get in planning approval, they were doing things. But to see that process from the other side and to understand that it is a process, process is massive and procedure and to see how many different levels actually touch it and to realise that and to understand why maybe things do take that extra bit of time. So it was really great for me to round out my skills working in that space. I was on a contract, so I was on a a two-and-a-half-year contract that unfortunately didn't get extended. At the time, I was probably six months pregnant with our first child, so it was not a bad time for that project to wind up. But at the same time, as a person that's worked for a long time, one of my first jobs, my mum will love this, but I'm going to throw it anyway, you know, one of my first jobs as a child was picking artichokes and picking rocks and she'd pay us like 50 cents a bag. So, you know, working has been in, you know, in my nature for a long time. So, you know, when your contract finishes and you wonder what next, but I'd built up connections and networks that then presented an opportunity and, again, it's being open to yes and knowing that opportunities present themselves at the right time. So I'd been presented with an opportunity that saw me create my own business and then do more project management work. So it was a pretty good segue at that stage. That project finished, it was a really great project based around the Hepburn area. And then from there, I was doing some consulting work. And just to throw something else into the mix, my last employed role was working for the CEO of a hospital on a customer service based role. Just a bit going on there. Yeah, there was a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. So you do all of that. You're obviously pregnant, have your first child, and then you start working for yourself. What was the sort of the thinking behind starting to work for yourself? What was that leap of faith that was just like, right, I'm doing this? Because I think people have probably there was something brewing in the back of your mind for a while. When did you go, yep, I'm going to start doing this and cross-country management became a thing? Once I'd finished working at local government and still, you know, had maintained my relationships and my connections with finance and, you know, and it was really clear to me that there was a need and I I had a skill in being able to converse and to work with people to, you know, help them articulate what the opportunities were that they wanted to achieve or wanted to pursue, but then being able to connect them with the right people or know what they needed to do to make that a reality. So that was where cross-country management really started to realise, and I started to realise that that's a skill that I had and was certainly a service that I could offer. My husband works in a corporate role. So it was, you know, flexibility, flexibility with parenthood as well. And I saw that working for myself certainly was going to, you know, should allow me the opportunities to be able to, you know, be a mum, but also work as well. 
and have, again, have that flexibility. Yeah, I think the flexibility is so important and I, especially as becoming a mum, being able to pick and choose a little bit, although I'm sure working for yourself, as I know, is extra high level. So I'm sure there's still so much going on behind the scenes to make it all work. Can you tell me a little bit about cross-country management? What services do you offer and how you actually provide opportunities and support all of your clients? I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. I've spent a lot of time working on this and that elevator pitch and what is cross-country management. We've got three focus areas at the moment. One is project management, so providing project management services to predominantly not-for-profits or managing government-funded projects that have got lots of moving parts. Um, So that's one area. I do training, um, so training and facilitation. And then there's my personal business clients where Fundamentally, I help them either prepare their finance applications or write a business plan or help them work through expression of interest documents, again, connecting the dots or extracting the information that's in their head and putting it in a format or in a manner where their service provider or the next person that sees that or the person that needs to use that information to make a decision that that's in the right sort of format that will help them achieve their outcomes. Yeah, that's great. I mean, given your background is so diverse, particularly, you know, also a lot of agriculture, you do work with some agribusinesses and farming sector as well. I'd love some examples of things that you're working on or things you've been able to achieve that have really helped set your clients apart to move forward in a sustainable and future thinking way. I pride myself on confidentiality, so I will give examples, but they will be very general. Probably the things that bring me the most satisfaction, which would also be the success for my clients, is when we have prepared up their submissions. Now, they own them and they take them to their finance provider or whoever it is, that they've actually got what they wanted and they've got it in a timely manner. And there hasn't been that backwards, forwards request for more information because everything has been provided that's then allowed that person to make a decision. So one of my clients, he had a really big expansion. He probably tripled the size of his operation. It was very satisfying to be involved in that process because he did get what he wanted. And the thing that really brings me great joy now is when he gives me a call and picks my brain about something else and you've built that trusted advisor relationship there where, you know, and it's watching him succeed as well. So, you know, another client that's been working through, again, it was a finance submission where he wanted to purchase a business. That's been a really interesting journey for him and to work with him and to see his journey evolve and to watch his business evolve and to be able to not only work with him on, you know, getting that loan approved, but we coach them through having good relationships with their key service providers or the people that they want to do and actually listen to them and know what's important to them and then be able to help them make that a reality. Yeah, hugely impactful for sure. I think something that you sort of have been talking a lot about is how you've been able to stay on top of things. But I think something that's a real theme for you is resilience and you have been through a lot of life. And I know, you know, you mentioned to me off air and you said you're happy to talk about your dad. 
and I'd love for you to sort of extend on that a bit. But with that, what are those sort of motivators that keep you going with everything that you've been through? And what are some of those things that you've been able to implement in your life to keep on keeping on? Because yeah, between yeah, everything you've with your family, running a business, your own children, your husband, and all those moves, like what what are those sort of things that you put in place to be able to keep on going? Oh, good question. And I should cover off on how we ended up back in South Australia. So we left Western Vic at the very start of 2019. So we were pretty happy. We're in Hamilton. We were very happy there and content and would probably still be there if it wasn't for what transpired with my dad. So when I was 34 weeks pregnant with child number two, my dad rang to say, unexpectedly he'd just been diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer so this was in 2018 and funnily at the time my husband had just been offered another role which would have seen us again committed to where we were so life really changed in a 90 minute window right where you know we thought we were doing one thing and then suddenly you know everything's been thrown upside down so over the course of the next couple of months positioned ourselves to come back to South Australia and we moved back at the start of 2019. So we've come back to Adelaide. Our farm door-to-door is about two hours 15. So we had a discussion as a family, you know, what would we do? Would we come back to the farm? Would we not? We made the decision that our mum and dad made the decision they would lease out the broadacre component of our farm and my now my mum and I run sheep in partnership who catalyst changed, obviously, my dad being sick. And we wanted to spend as much time with them, creating really great memories, but being able to support them. And, you know, my dad said to me, and I I didn't understand, I did understand it, but I hadn't appreciated it until just recently that my mum would need me um, once he wasn't there. So, you know, I'm really glad that we come back Um you know, I've had friends who have lost parents unexpectedly, right? And we've had, we were fortunate that we had the benefit of time. My dad was very determined, which comes back to your other question about, you know, resilience. And it's funny, last week, resilience was thrown up as a discussion point at a keynote speaking lunch that I was at as an attendee. And, you know, is that word overused? You know, is it polarizing, et cetera? But I think, for me and watching my dad fight cancer for nearly four years, he was determined that he was going to be the stat. He passed away when he was 66, so, you know, pretty young. But, you know, he was mentally determined. Like, and I think that's the thing. It's just about being mentally determined to do something. So, you know, for me, there's a lot going on, right? But things that I can do is always being involved in things that you enjoy. So, you know, I'm at my best, as are we all, when you do things that you enjoy. So for me, that's helping clients, making a difference. Now, whether that's a project management thing, whether that's a, you know, a business client, whatever it is, it's actually making a difference and feeling part of a team. So that's one thing that really I get great joy out of and helps me keep going. I'm not perfect. I have moments of, you know, really being challenged but it's again remembering that you know what we all get somebody last week said we get something like I don't know however many weeks of the year it is if you live to the age of 80 and how do you want to spend those weeks but it's also you know what makes you happy what brings you joy and now 
I've worked really hard on boundaries and values and this week I've probably had one of the best weeks that I've had in terms of feeling like I've got a good mix that'll have a little you know change next week but it's celebrating the wins and I think celebrating success is also really important and it doesn't have to be grand gestures it can just be setting aside time to do something that you enjoy I think that that's so special. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective on that. And I think it's really important that we continue to touch on it. And I definitely don't personally feel like resilience is being used enough. I think if anything in this industry, I don't think we ever, like you say, we never really get the time to reflect on what we've been through. We kind of just, as an industry, I think the tragedy and hardships we can't comprehend what we've been through ourselves. We're so casual about talking about it. And it's not until we talk about people outside of our industry or get to do things like this, where we really reflect that what we've all been through. And I think that it's really important that we keep having these conversations and have that reflection because I think a lot of us, like yourself, what you've been through is incredibly tough. I'm so sure at some stage, but the fact that you have done what you've done and built this career and your family it's so impressive and I think it's really important so thank you for sharing that thank you I think the other thing too Lavinia is it's all about I like the word grit you know sometimes you've just got to grind your way through the ugly parts and everybody's got challenges you know the season's got challenges at the moment we've just got to grind our way through and get to the other side and and it is again it's about being able to pause or to stop and actually celebrate and recognise that there are good things happen every day. Maybe it's just the fact that, you know, the sun was shining or maybe it's somebody gave you a phone call and this is, you know, some really nice feedback we got at my dad's funeral that I've really tried to take on board and, you know, one of our friends and against one of our neighbour friends, you know, he's like, you know, your dad, he's a young guy, so your dad was nearly the only person that would ring me and tell me my crops looked really great. Like, it was such a small gesture that, you know, this young guy, he's a really great farmer. He'll be a farmer for, well, I would think he'd be a farmer for a long time, yeah. But, you know, for him that was a really great memory that he's got of my dad. It was just, you know, he would ring to say your crops look really great. And I think that's something that we can all do as well is, you know, recognise or not be afraid to pick up the call or, you know, it's doing those little things that they're not hard, they're not expensive. They just take a want and a desire to actually do them. Yeah, we're not great at gratitude and we're not great at complimenting it's so funny. I've definitely had these conversations this week with my team. Some of my team are outside of the industry and they go, oh, like sometimes we don't get the recognition. And I was like, our industry has never been good at giving recognition. And this is why I really try and make a point to compliment people. And sometimes I shower people with comments a little bit more than they, and they don't know how to respond because we've just always got on with it. But I think that there's such a powerful message in actually being able to say to somebody, oh, it's really impressive what you're doing, or, you know, that's really great that you've done that. Or yeah, your crops look really great because Yeah, I don't think we really know, like your family, their mental health is a massive thing in agriculture and those little things can make such a powerful difference to people every single day. So I absolutely love that you've said that. Thanks. Before we wrap it up, I know we've gotten the heavy. (laughs) 
so emotional, both of us. Um, <laughs> but I would love for you to give me a little bit of like, you're obviously in ag in so many different capacities, like give us a little bit of an overview of agriculture and the agribusiness perspective of where you think from your knowledge as a consultant, the future of ag is looking like in the next five to 10 years, because we did have a big deep conversation prior to the interview, but yeah, I'd love for you to share your perspective, what you think is happening and where you see us sort of going over the next few years? I think at the moment, even looking short term, I think there's some really big challenges that I feel like often one sector will be doing well and another sector might not be doing so well at the same time. Whereas sort of feel like this year nearly every sector has actually got challenges and I feel like that's a really unique thing, something that hasn't happened for quite a while. So, you know, talking this week to, you know, oyster farmers and learning about their challenges or to, you know, talk to some wine industry people, even hospitality, we only have to pick up a newspaper and look on social media to see livestock prices, commodity prices, and then there's the cost of input. So I think at the moment there's some real challenges. And I think it's really important that we recognise that it's a season thing, right? And if you've got a bad season this year, it doesn't automatically mean that there'll be a bad season next year. And I would encourage everyone that feels challenged by that or is worrying about that to certainly have some conversations with people that you trust because there's always help out there, right? And so I think that's one thing. Looking at the positives, I think there's some real positives for agriculture I think the government has certainly recognised that agriculture is a key industry for Australia and that they need farmers to produce food for us to eat and for society and for the world. So I think there are opportunities there. I think it's about people understanding their numbers and as a numbers person, I think, you know, fundamentally people need to understand, you know, their numbers, their cost drivers what their position is. But then looking forwards, you know, where do I want to be in five years' time, ten years' time? What do I want my business to look like? What do I want my community to look like? How do I want to be involved? What do I want the sector to to look like? And then once you know that, you know, what is my role here and how do I be involved and, you know, how do I play my part in making that happen? I think they're great questions to definitely ask. And I think it's really important for people to look forward and actually to have uh, think about what their business plan or the business development side is. And I don't think we take enough, but yeah, I think as an industry, we're definitely, we've had some tough times and we've got some tough times ahead of us and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And it's great that there are people like you that exist to help support a lot of that as well. Lastly, before we wrap it up, where should people go if they're wanting to get in touch with you? What are the best places to find out more information about you? Um, pretty easy to find. So you'll find me spending a lot of time on social media, but mainly on, on Instagram. So you'll find me at Cross Country Management. I am on LinkedIn as are most of us. So you will also find me on there either as Paige Cross or as Cross Country Management, or you can jump onto my website as well. Perfect. Paige, thank you so much for having a chat. It was so lovely to hear your story and to get to share that. I'm so excited for people to learn more about you. And I'm also thankful for you sharing a lot of your personal journey as well. So really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Slovenia, and all the best to you and to your team. You're doing some really great work. So keep it up. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Generation Ag. We hope you loved it. If you did, don't forget to visit our guest bios page on our website where you can get all of their contact information. And if you have an idea for another guest in the future or a story that you want to hear, you can get in touch with us via our email, which is hello at generationag.com.au. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at generation.ag. That's Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you've loved this episode as well, you can share it with your friends on your socials and make sure to subscribe to us on the podcast app and leave us a review because that all really helps as well. Thanks, guys. Bye.